Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Father, we ask that you would be gracious to us this morning that you would help us to understand your word, that our hearts would be stirred and affected, that we would see where our foundation and cornerstone lie. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you remember last week, we looked at belonging. We've seen so far in this part of Ephesians that Paul has been talking to this church specifically about unity. He told the Gentiles that they were once on the outside. They were once strangers. They were once alienated. They didn't belong a part of the kingdom of God. They didn't understand and know the promises but that through Christ's sacrifice and his death and resurrection, that upon trust in Jesus, they are made citizens. Not only that, but the dividing wall of hostility between Jews and Gentiles is torn down. And there is now unity. The, the, the two now become one. They're unified. They're unified to God and they're unified to one another, which means that now they belong. Specifically, Paul gave us two illustrations. They belong to the kingdom of God. They belong as citizens to this kingdom now. They are individual citizens, but they also now have neighbors. They're a part of a kingdom, an eternal kingdom, a kingdom that lasts. But not only do they belong to a kingdom, but he specifically and more intimately tells them, now you belong to a family. You belong to the family of God. Because of your faith in Christ, you belong to God. This is what Paul is saying up to this point. You belong to God. And now what we'll see this morning is that because we belong to God, God, he's the one who chooses to do what he wills with us. That's God's decision. Because we belong to God, it's his choice to do what he wills for us. Just as if you owned something and it was yours, it is your choice to do with it what you will. And because we belong to God, what our passage tells us in the third illustration that Paul gives us for being joined together and unified to God through Christ is that he is building us into a temple. Because we belong to God, he is building us into a temple. We are now, as Peter calls us, living stones. We are living stones with a purpose of being built up into a holy temple to display God's glory. For God to 
actually and literally dwell in us. We are temples ourselves as individuals, but as individuals, we are also living stones now. Together, collectively, as Christians, so that God may dwell in our presence. So because we belong to God, he does with us what he wills. And what he wills for us is to build us into a holy temple. And there are a couple of things that need to happen when a structure is being built. Some crucial things need to happen. You don't need to be a construction worker to know that if you want to build a structure that lasts, you need a foundation. A good foundation, a foundation that will last through the severest Wisconsin snowstorms. You need a good foundation. Because with a bad foundation, what happens? The structure may last for a time, but it is inevitable that that structure will collapse at some point because the foundation will not hold the structure for very long. But not only do we need something to place our feet on or something to build the structure, we need something that supports the structure. Now during this time, when Paul is writing this letter, the main support of a structure was the cornerstone. These are the two key ingredients to, to build any structure that lasts for a long time. A good foundation, a foundation that lasts, and a cornerstone that can bear the weight and support. Isn't this what we're looking for? Aren't we seeing this so clearly play out in this world? Doesn't it seem like things are gray and not quite black and white? That the foundation continues to shift underneath our feet? That those things that we thought that once supported us no longer support us? Don't we see this daily take place? The thing that was a foundation yesterday is no longer stable. The cornerstone that held everything up yesterday no longer holds it up. This is because of sin. We look and grasp for faulty foundations and unstable support beams to hold us up in this life. In our sin, this is what we look for. We see the world grasp at this. They believe that if only they work, only if they can build their foundation on their work, that that will get them through this life. And if they make enough money, then that will stabilize them. And it will bring them happiness. What they're asking for is that their money would bear the burdens of their problems, that their money would bear the burden of their troubles, that work is this foundation that they plant their feet on, but that money can support them, that it will stabilize them. 
We see this at times in families. That a family is the foundation. And that husbands or wives or children support us. That they can be the one to bear our troubles. I think it's been clear in the past three, four, five years that people have looked for politics as a means to find their foundation. They look for governors and presidents and senators as the people who will support them, who will bring stability, who will bear the burdens of their problems. But far be it from me to just look out at the world and say, well, the world just looks for these faulty foundations and these support beams to bear their problems. Because it's far too easy for the Christian to be tempted to drink from cracked cisterns. We know where our foundation is. We hear where our foundation is. We know who the cornerstone is, and yet we are still tempted to build a structure on something other than that. But doesn't it grieve you, the amount of people that leave the church or leave the faith because of a pastor's moral failing? It is terrible. It is something to grieve over. What about those the last five years or so that have left churches over the political turmoil that has taken place? Or even so that the churches at times start to preach more about the political kingdom of America rather than the kingdom of heaven? What about those who build their foundation upon the information that they receive? If I can just take in more information, then my foundation will be secure. Not realizing what's stabilizing them is the person saying that information. Look, I'll say this, and I mean this. Don't just trust what I say. Read your Bibles for yourself. Look to the cornerstone, not me. Look to the Scriptures. But we far too easily are tempted as Christians to, to build or to look for foundations that are faulty and support beams that are not stable, that cannot bear the weight of our troubles and problems. This is our greatest problem, or not our greatest, but one of our problems. This is one of our sinful tendencies. In our sin, we, we don't want to, as living stones, be built into a holy temple. At times, we would rather do what? We would rather look for other foundations and supports. So what does this then mean? This means that there's a problem that's going inside of our heart. What this means is that we as living stones whom belong to God don't want to be built into a holy temple, but we want to build our own temples. We want to build our own kingdoms. That's just not for us. This is for the world. This is for those who are in sin. The desire isn't to worship God. The desire is to be God. And so we look to build our own temples, our own kingdoms on our own foundations, 
on our own support beams. We look for our own cornerstones. This is the warning the Bible gives us, isn't it? This is the warning that Jesus gives us. As Peter confesses him as the Christ, he says, on this rock I will build my kingdom. I will build my church. Jesus tells us that everything else besides the solid rock is sinking sand. And he gives us this warning because when trials of various kinds come, it doesn't take long for our foundations and our cornerstones and our buildings to be washed away, to be blown down. We're five minutes away from a phone call that will totally take out our foundation and our cornerstone. But even more so on the day of judgment, our buildings, our kingdoms will not last. They will be swept up into the flood of judgment as easily as a cardboard box would be in a flood. So here's what the Apostle Paul is telling us this morning. Here's the third illustration that he's giving to this church. That the apostles and prophets are the foundation of the church. He, he tells us that there needs to be a strong foundation. There needs to be a strong cornerstone. And he tells us, that we as living stones are being built up into a holy temple and the foundation is what? The apostles and prophets. This is the foundation. But this almost seems a bit counter the apostle Paul, doesn't it? Because in other places, Paul has told us that Christ is the foundation. Jesus tells us that the foundation or the rock that he would build his church on is, is upon Peter's confession. That Jesus is the Christ. So why is Paul saying that the apostles and the prophets are the foundation of the church? Well, in order to understand this, let's take a look at who the apostles and the prophets were and what they did. So who are the apostles? The apostles here that Paul is most likely speaking of are the 12 apostles. So who are the apostles? The apostles... John tells us in 1 John, are those who looked at Jesus with their very own eyes, who heard Jesus with their very own ears, who touched Jesus with their very own hands. These are who the apostles are. The apostles are those who were commissioned by Jesus, who were trained by Jesus, who were sent out by Jesus. The apostles, quite literally, you could call them messengers. They are messengers of Jesus sent out. So what do they do? What do the apostles do then? What do the 12 apostles here do? The 12 apostles here take the message. But what message? The same message that Jesus proclaimed. The message of the kingdom of God. The message of the kingdom of heaven to go around telling people to repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. This is the apostles' message. 
But not only that, the message is this. Do you remember what Jesus told the apostles? Right before Jesus ascended to sit at the right hand of the Father? He tells the apostles, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you. So the apostles' job was to go around as messengers, being divinely commissioned by Jesus to preach repentance that the kingdom of God was at hand, that Jesus Christ has died for sinners, for Jews and Gentiles alike, and to then explain what the kingdom of God is like and how we can live as citizens. We can live as members of the household of God. Don't we see this so clearly in the beginning of Acts? That when Peter preached, we see him preach a message of faith and repentance and and people in a large multitude come to faith in Christ. And, And what do we see after that at the end of Acts 2? What do the people do? They dedicate themselves to the apostles' teaching. What did the apostles teach? They they taught about the kingdom of God. So this is what the apostles did. They taught. They taught about the kingdom of God. They preached repentance and faith. But what about the prophets? Now, this is a bit confusing for some. And if you do some reading on this, you'll, you'll hear the great minds go back and forth. The great minds have two different points of view on this. That when, when Paul is writing about the prophets here, he is talking about the Old Testament prophets. That the, the prophets of the Old Testament... They, were, they received divine information from God to speak or preach to a particular people in a particular place during a particular time. That what? That pointed to the Christ. That pointed to the Messiah. The Old Testament prophets bore witness about the Messiah to come. They divinely received a revelation from God. And so then they pointed to the Christ. But then there are others with a point of view that says, well, these are the New Testament prophets that Paul is speaking of here. And what they do is they they say, well, if Paul would have meant Old Testament prophets, he wouldn't have said apostles and then prophets. He would have said the prophets and then the apostles. Not to mention that then Paul in chapter 3 goes on to then talk more about the apostles and prophets. Or that in chapter 4, Paul then references that the church has apostles and prophets and evangelists and teachers to build up the saints for the ministry. And then others will then look at 1 Corinthians and, and see that, well, then the prophets, Paul talks about more, saying how the prophets were to build up and encourage the church. You see these two point of views? I think in order to better understand what Paul is speaking of here is we need to understand who the prophets are. Because I don't think it matters. 
I think Paul could have meant both, Old Testament and New Testament prophets. Because at the end of the day, a prophet's job was they received a divine revelation from God, not from the scriptures, but from God, and specifically spoke to the people. The prophets would speak to a particular people during a particular time in a particular place. They received divine revelation from God. Let me illustrate it to you like this. There was a story of Charles Spurgeon as he was preaching in his large church that sat about 6,000 people. And as he was preaching, there was a man who caught his attention. It wasn't that this man was doing anything out of the ordinary. He wasn't standing up and waving his arms. He wasn't saying amen a lot. He was sitting there, listening to the preacher preach. But for whatever reason, as Spurgeon was examining the people, this guy continued to catch his attention. And so, he spoke directly to this guy. He spoke directly about the Sabbath day. He spoke directly about how even if we break one commandment in the Ten Commandments, that is still enough to receive God's just judgment. That even if we were to live a great and worthy life, but if we were to break one commandment and we do not honor the Sabbath day, that is enough to still be sent to hell. And he spoke directly to this man. Well, it came out later that the man had planned to go and work that day in order to make more money. And him feeling a sense of guilt and remorse repented of his sins. You see, that was some type of spiritual insight, divine insight that Charles Spurgeon had received. This was the job of the prophets, whether of the Old Testament or the New Testament, that they were to say a particular thing to a particular people. They received it from God, and they would preach it to the people. This is what they did. They did it to build up the church, to encourage the church, to point people to Jesus. I wonder if you can see why the apostles and the prophets are the foundation. Why Paul calls them the foundation. Paul calls them the foundation because they are the mouthpieces. They're the mouthpieces bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. They are the mouthpieces of pointing people to the Messiah. That's what they're doing. That's why they're the foundation. This is what Paul means here. He means that the apostles and the prophets were used to, to found the church, to go and plant churches, to bear witness about the Christ, no more, no less. That's why they're the foundation. So here, let me ask this question to us this morning. Where is your foundation? Where do you root your foundation? Do you root your foundation on listening to people talk about the Scriptures? Or is your foundation rooted in the Scriptures? Paul tells Timothy that God's word is active. That it's perfect, that it's sharper than any two-edged sword that any man could possibly make. It pierces through bones and marrows. 
Is your foundation through the scriptures or is it through something or someone else? Where does your foundation lie? This is the foundation of the temple. This is the foundation of the holy temple. This is the foundation. Nothing more, nothing less than the apostles and the prophets pointing to Christ. Teaching about the kingdom. Telling people how to be citizens of the kingdom of God and members of the household of God. But what's the point of the foundation? The point of the foundation is so that a structure could be built, but even more so that a cornerstone could be laid on top of that foundation. In order to have a holy temple, we must have a cornerstone. What is a cornerstone? Let me illustrate it to you like this. A cornerstone bears the weight. It bears the weight of the structure. It bears the weight of the temple. But not only does it bear the weight, it also sets the direction. If the cornerstone is off by a few inches, then the whole building is to be crooked. The whole temple is not to be lined up how it should be. But not only that, not only does the cornerstone bear the weight, not only does the cornerstone set the direction, but the cornerstone also unites the walls together. It helps bring together the walls. I said I would illustrate this, so let me illustrate it. In the 1990s, archaeologists discovered a temple. And upon discovering the temple, they saw that this temple was supported by a cornerstone. And here are the measurements of this cornerstone that they found. The cornerstone that they found was 55 feet long. That's longer than our building here. The cornerstone was 11 feet high. The cornerstone was 14 feet wide, and they estimated that the cornerstone would have weighed about 570 tons. Why? Because a cornerstone needs to be strong. It needs to be able to bear the weight. It needs to set the direction. It needs to unite and bring together the walls. So how does Jesus show us he is the cornerstone? Is not Jesus the only one who can bear the weight of our sin? Is not Jesus the only one who is able to set the direction and the mission? Is it not Jesus who is only able to bring together and unite people who are different? Jesus is the cornerstone for this reason. Jesus bears the weight of our sins. We cannot bear the weight of our sins. The, the support beams and the cornerstones that we look for in this life will not bear the weight of our problems. They cannot do that. They will not do that. The cornerstone will collapse and crumble underneath our problems, but Christ has been tested and proven that he is able to bear the weight of our sins. And he shows us that he does this. He shows us that he is able to bear the weight of our sins by living the perfect life that God has called us to live. He shows us that he is able to bear the weight of our sins by being unjustly accused by being condemned, by, by being whipped and scourged and beaten and mocked and 
He bears the weight of our sin by being sacrificed. He is our atonement, our propitiation. He can bear the weight of our sins because he has defeated sin and death once and for all. If you are here this morning and you believe that the cornerstones that you have set up in your life through this world will bear the burden of sin, they will not. Only Christ Jesus is strong enough to be the cornerstone, to bear the weight of sin. And he does not ask or require anything of us other than trust in him. He asks us to put his faith, our faith, in him. He asks us to trust that he is able to bear the burden of sin. That he is able to build the temple. That he is able to do it. And that he does do it. This is why Christ is the cornerstone. This is why the foundation points to the cornerstone. Not only does the cornerstone bear our sin, the cornerstone also sets the the direction. The cornerstone sets the direction of the message or mission. As I've said already, we've been given the mission. The cornerstone has set it for us to go to the nations, to preach the gospel, to baptize to teach everything that has already been taught and teach them to observe it, to obey it. And so the cornerstone sets the direction of the message and the cornerstone unites and brings together those who are different. The cornerstone acts as a uniting place that brings Jews and Gentiles, different ethnicities, different social and economical classes together. This is why Christ is the cornerstone. Because he is dependable. He is big enough and strong enough to carry us. And this is what the foundation's job is. The foundation's job is that the cornerstone would be set. So what Paul is suggesting for us this morning is that to be a holy temple, we need a foundation. To be a holy temple, we need a cornerstone. Are you being used to be built up into a holy temple? Or out of your own desire to be God? Are you looking for faulty foundations and unstable cornerstones to build your own temple, your own kingdom? What is your foundation? Who are you listening to? What message are you taking in? Who is it? 
Is your foundation built upon the apostles or prophets or Fox News and CNN? Is it built upon the prophets or Facebook and TikTok? What is your cornerstone? What are you looking to to bear your troubles, to bear your burdens? Is it your money? Maybe it's your health. Only, only the apostles and prophets can be a sure foundation. Only Christ can bear your troubles. So this is what I'm asking for us this morning as we conclude. Let's be honest. Let's be honest. There's nothing more important in this life than being as honest as we possibly can. As a pastor, that's all that I can ask of you. And all that you can ask of me is to be honest. Let's be honest with one another. Let's walk with integrity and honesty. Let's be honest with ourselves. Because when we are honest with ourselves, I believe by the grace of God, what will happen is he will show us our sin. He will show us what type of structures we are trying to build. If we are trying to be built up into a holy temple or if we are trying to build our own temple. If we're honest with ourselves, he will show us our sin. But let's also be honest with God. Because when we are honest with God, he will show us the hope that we have in Christ. When we are honest with God, he will show us that there is no person in this life that is too far gone from hope. When we are honest with God, he will show us. He will show us the foundation we need. He will show us that Christ can bear our burdens. This is where our hope comes from. When we're honest with God, he will show us where our hope lies and how we can have hope. And let's be honest with one another. Let's be honest with one another. Because when we're honest with one another, this leads to confession. And confession is healing to our hearts. Because when we confess our sins, we are bringing our sin to the light. Let's be honest with one another, because when we are honest with one another, then we are asking one another to keep us accountable. Let's be honest with one another, so that as we are being built into a holy temple, we can sing in one accord that great and classic hymn. How firm a foundation, you saints of the Lord. Do you know that hymn? Maybe not. How firm a foundation, you saints of the Lord, is laid for us in his excellent word. 
What more can he say than to you he has said? Where? What have you built your structure on? Let us pray. Father, help us. We are poor and needy sinners. We are sons and daughters who stumble. And we are so thankful that you, God, are a God that when we stumble, you hold us up. You carry us through. We thank you, God. We thank you for our sure foundation and our mighty cornerstone. Amen.